This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 24, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama believes a government health plan would reduce administrative costs for the health care system as a whole. But what's the relevant precedent? And would those reduced costs inside the health plan come at the expense of taxpayers and private plans? David Hyman is author of the Cato book, Medicare Meets Mephistopheles. We spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on health care, June 17th. Part of the reason why Medicare works to the extent it does is there are uh, lots of people outside the system paying in and relatively few people inside the system receiving services. And as soon as you put everybody into a single program, you have to face up to the overall costs. Um, What instead people are talking about is what they call uh, at various points a government plan, a public plan, or a public plan option. And the idea here is that Uh, the government will set up an insurance company to compete with private insurance. Now, the design details vary tremendously depending upon whose version of a government plan, which is what I'll call it from now on, you're actually talking about. So there's uh, one set of people who don't want it at all. Uh, There's another set of people who think we ought to have a a government plan, but it has to be subject to all of the same rules and limitations as the private plans that it's competing with. So it should have to pay taxes, uh, it should have to have reserves, it can't receive government subsidies, it should behave just like any other insurance company, uh, or at least be subject to the same regulatory regime of any other insurance company. And then there's a oversimplifying a third group of people who think it shouldn't be subject to those things uh, and it ought to be able to use the purchasing power of the government more broadly to pay lower prices, thus driving down the cost of health care. The other part of this to keep in mind is the proponents think one of the advantages of a government plan is that it will have lower administrative costs and it will be less subject to misbehavior. And so you... uh, Because it has at least allegedly lower administrative costs, that would place pressure on private plans to lower their administrative costs as well. To the extent that governments already spend uh, a large share of health care dollars in the United States, how how do their administrative costs rank? Well, it's a great question, and the answer is uh, it depends on where you look and what you count. Okay, so Medicare appears to have very low administrative costs, um, and there are some economies of scale in processing large numbers of claims, particularly because Medicare outsources most of that to actually uh, private health insurance plans to handle that. Uh, But the difficulty is running Medicare, uh, first of all, because you have a monopoly over the elderly. You don't have to market. You don't have to promote your services. You don't have to compete with any other alternatives. And so you're not going to have some kinds of overhead. Uh, A second uh, component is that Medicare, because it doesn't set up networks uh, and it doesn't do uh, nearly as much as I at least have argued it ought to do to try and control fraud and abuse of the system, it basically gets a bill and it pays it and doesn't spend very much time or money uh, focusing on whether, in fact, the services were provided, let alone whether they were required. Instead, it follows what people in the field have called a pay-and-chase model. They pay the money up front, and then if they decide three months, six months, a year later, they shouldn't have paid it, they go looking for the provider. 
And so, if anything, I think it's fair to say Medicare underinvests in administrative costs. It ought to spend more. A third factor is because of the way the government accounting is done, Medicare's stated administrative costs are not, in fact, its real administrative costs. So the IRS collects its premiums. The Social Security Administration keeps its books. Neither of those things get counted as Medicare administrative overhead. But the people who are interested in the government plan uh, point to the low stated administrative costs of Medicare and say, basically, we can do better. Now, the complication is running a retail-level insurance company dealing with individual uh, consumers who want to buy uh, and competing with other private plans is suddenly going to result in you're having to incur higher administrative costs. Running Medicare uh, is actually not that much like uh, running a private insurance plan at this level of the analysis. Uh, and the other, I think, important factor uh, to be kept in mind in thinking about uh, administrative costs is if you're looking for a place for a, a true measure on what the administrative costs are of a government plan of the sort that some people are talking about. Again, there's some disparity in how people are using the word. Uh, where you might want to look is actually at the states, uh, some of whom have self-funded uh, plans for their employees. And that's the closest analog to the government plan. And it's actually very hard to get numbers on the actual administrative costs there. But my expectation is they'll be basically comparable to the private plans. So there, I don't know, I don't want to say there aren't any administrative cost savings. Um, insurance is not nearly as efficient as it ought to be. Uh, but you shouldn't expect that a public plan will, or a government plan will necessarily be able to capture them in a serious way. Michael Tanner at the forum this morning talked about uh, 1993 when the Clinton health care plan came out and said that the, the list of mandated benefits, required benefits for uh, uh, plans would topped out at 45 pages of uh, mandatory coverage. Is there any way to avoid that type of uh, outcome with the plan that they're uh, pushing on Capitol Hill? Um, well, keep in mind... Oh, I'm sorry, plans yeah, that they're right. uh, pushing on Capitol keep, Hill. Keep, you're, you're certainly right that the process of mandating benefits uh, results in a tendency to just keep adding them on. Um, and some are basically very insignificant in dollar terms, and some are hugely significant in dollar terms. So it's important to keep in mind some of them matter a lot to the ultimate premium, and some of them are much less significant. But bracketing that question, the problem uh, is when you start down the road of requiring people to have insurance, you then have to figure out what insurance counts for satisfying that requirement. And so there's, again, the same tendency that we see in state-level regulation of benefits to keep larding more and more of them on. Um, the, you know, the way in which insurance is regulated makes this in some ways easier to do, right? Each state has a monopoly on the regulation of insurance within its borders. You can't buy insurance across state borders. Allowing that would have a series of other consequences that some of which are good and some of which are not so good. But nonetheless, the basic point uh, is there's no exit door for people who don't want all of the mandated benefits. Their choices are to buy the uh, expensive loaded-up benefit package uh, or to go without. And, you know, a sensible market provides intermediate options rather than all or nothing. 
David Hyman is author of the Cato book, Medicare Meets Mephistopheles. We spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on healthcare June 17th. You can watch the full conference at cato.org.